All right, welcome to episode number 36, everybody. We want to take this opportunity to thank our last episode's guest, Anne-Marie Farrell of Women on Tops on Instagram for sharing her collecting journey of women's sports trading cards that span across sports, leagues, and generations. Wishing Coach Farrell all the best with the men's rugby team this year. We appreciate all her candor and courage to be herself, and we look forward to having her back as a guest in the future. Amit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our show. Um, we've got an exciting one for you tonight. Before we get into that, we Kent and I will be at the Toronto Sports Card Expo on November 11th through 14th. It's four days this year, so we're looking forward to that. It's a Canadian version of the National. So for those of you Americans who are watching, you're more than welcome to come up. Okay, so our next guest has an impressive background. He's had many stops along his career, seven years at Microsoft, followed by various gaming-themed locations before he made the leap to loop. Eric's well-storied, and I want to take the user down a different path when it comes to interviewing him. I'm going to hope to try and give you a different perspective of Eric and Loop versus all the many, many podcasts he's been on today. So I, I'm wishing myself luck that makes this a little more interesting and show a different side and slice of Eric and Loop and what can do for you or what can Loop do for you as a seller. So let's bring on Eric. Hello, Eric. Hello, Eric. Hey, guys. So first, I want to say thank you to Dennis for coming out to watch. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Dennis. Hey, name. Hey, name. Oh, name. Yes, name. We are glad we're back this week. We had a <laughs> we had a break in our schedule. We were getting ready for the expo, so now we're back on track. So, Eric, I want to build up a bit of like a character portfolio. I want to get people to get to know Eric, right? Because a lot of the podcasts I watch and the videos we watch, people dive in quickly into Loop without actually getting to know you. So I figure, you know, mm. people get to know you. Which is important because as a CEO, you should get to know the people running uh, the business. And if you're comfortable with the, the people running the business, you're more apt to 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 buy in. So, Eric, I know you're a fan of tattoos and your bio says so on the Loop uh, app website. So I want to just talk about quickly, how many uh, tattoos do you have? And uh, what is your latest one? Um, I have more than, than I can count now. Um, I think I stopped counting after maybe 10. Um, the latest is this sleeve. Um, I had a bunch of individual tattoos with a, it was all blank space in between. So Seahawks, because I yeah. lived in Seattle, Buffalo, because I grew up just south of there. And then a lot of oh, nice. dumb video game tattoos, because I worked in video games <laughs> for 12 years. Um, but the last really big tattoo was all the background and it's all uh, Super Mario World. Oh, cool. So I was going to ask you the silly question because I have to. Is there a Loop logo on you? No, there is not yet. But I think that is a – our one-year anniversary is in 11 days. It's on October 23rd. So I think if we, we make it through that, not if, when we make it through that, um, I will probably be scheduling <laughs> scheduling one for November to go in. and get one right uh, here. Every time we do somewhere. Yeah, when you lean back, it's just like loop. I think it'd be cool. That mean I'd have to shave my my permanent founder scruff. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe not. We'll, we'll yeah, maybe I'll do that. We you need a beard uh, in your position. You've got to make sure uh, you have that. Um, <laughs> one of the things we talked about last time we chatted was, and it actually struck me, and I wanted to make sure people bring this up, it, or I bring this up rather, is you actually own a rescue dog. So. That process usually isn't an easy one. So I wanted to kind of explain, you know, <laughs> what was your thought process behind why you wanted to get a rescue dog and, you know, your passion behind that? Yeah, I've only 
I've only ever had rescue dogs. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm in New York, so all our dogs were rescue, runaway, mutts. <laughs> no. um, so, I, yeah, I've just always had that. And funny enough, when my girlfriend and I lived in L.A., uh, our dog was rescued in Tijuana, of all places, and she ended up at a little rescue yeah. in L.A. So she's she's got a little history to her. Um Unfortunately, she's wild right now. She's she's not allowed in the same room as me right now while I'm on a call. But uh, yeah, I ju I just love animals in general. Um, I've always had pets my whole life. Awesome. And you, were, you said, I didn't ask you this, but you're from a dairy farming background. Did you just say south of Buffalo, New York? Yeah. Oh, okay. And you owned a farm, a dairy farm. You said. Yeah, it was my family's dairy farm. We lived right next to the barn. Um, but like all my family still lives out there uh, while well, I've been living all over the U.S. in uh, Seattle and Chicago, L.A. And now now I'm in Miami. So what did the DeBille's disappointment in 93 that made you be a Seattle fan? <laughs> uh, I, I distinctly remember being I was very, very young when the Bills went to the Super Bowl four times in a row and lost. And I remember how disappointed my dad. I mean, going to the Super Bowls means you're still really good. Sure. But, you know, if you can't get a win after that long, it's, you know, it, it's tough. So I remember my dad being really like disappointed. And I think I, I didn't follow football for a very long time until I got older. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm still a Bills fan. I, I have fond memories of Jim Kelly and Doug yeah. Flutie and Thurman Thomas and all those guys. And then Bruce Smith and uh, there's oh, uh, yeah. Steve Tasker, Daryl Talley. Mm -hmm. so I could go go down the list. Um, yeah, I think there's a there's a Buffalo push to get Steve Tasker in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he's in yet, but if if he's uh, not, he deserves to be. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll be a voting member. He's the only one in the Super Bowl that raced back after getting blown out to knock the ball out of. Uh, oh, what was the defensive tackle on uh, the Cowboys? I can't remember his name right now, but he knocked the ball out of his hand before he got to the end zone. So uh, I was happy about that. <laughs> So what I get into, and thank you for telling us about that. So just to give everyone's perspective, um, the reason I went into, you know, the bit about the rescue dog and where Eric is from is I wanted to kind of give another side of Eric. So a lot of the podcasts I mentioned earlier, they talk, they go get right into the loop app. And I want to kind of build up a little bit before then. Oh, yeah. Leon Lett. So we have a, a fan in the room who's actually <laughs> Leon Lett. So Steve Tasker knocked the ball out of Leon Lett's hand before he got a, a, a touchdown because he was showboating. And that was after they're getting blown out. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> welcome, David Boss, to the show. He said, loop to the moon. So there you go. You have a fan here. Nice. Um, yeah, that's one of our – that's that's our really only hashtag that we use. Loop to the moon? Loop to the okay. moon. Um, you know, we – I can get into it more later, but yeah, we we really try to amplify our sellers and get them to to be more successful than they've ever been before being on loop. So we always we always kind of end conversations with loop to the moon. Hilarious! That's awesome. We'll have to. I'll, I probably will have to refrain from saying that later, but I'm sure I will. <laughs> um, so. Of course, Eric, we wanted to talk about, you know, Loop, but before we get there, there's one more thing I want to talk about. Like, you're a collector first and foremost, so let's talk about what are the things you collect, what are you passionate about, and give us a bit of a backstory on that. I collect, I mean, I've always been a collector of action figures, uh, coins and bills, stamps. Um, collected mostly baseball cards when I was a kid. 
And the, I'm, I'm sure others that have followed me uh, know that my mom threw away all my sports cards when I was, I mean, it was probably like five or six years ago. They'd been just in, sitting in storage for decades. Um, so yeah, that, that, that hurt a little bit. Um, but yeah, right now I collect obviously a ton of sports cards, pretty much every sport. I like the weird stuff too, like the things you wouldn't think to collect, um, like an Allen and Ginter card that wasn't an autograph, but somebody went out and got that celebrity's autograph and then got it authenticated, um, especially if it's like good art. Um, mm -hmm. And then even the official ones, uh, like I have a Guy Fieri auto card from Allen and Ginter. Um, I've graded video games, graded magazines and comics and um, I, I tend to gravitate more graded um, just because I, I like the fact that it's already authenticated, but also I don't have to worry about storing it. It's nice just to get the, the graded card and then immediately put it into the, the storage box I have. You know what's really funny when you said Guy Fieri? Um, you know what shirt I'm wearing? You're going to laugh at this. My shirt is actually says straight out of Flavortown. <laughs> what nice. are the chances? I didn't know this. I had no idea. Yeah. What are the chances it, that you mentioned that and I happen to be wearing that shirt? So it's that's, that's... one of the few cards I don't think I'll sell just because when I show people it, they like can't believe I have it. I did. There was a similar one. It wasn't graded though, so I sold it. I had a Tom from MySpace, everyone's first friend on MySpace. Yeah. I had a, a of twenty five Tom autographed card. And I just recently sold it like a couple weeks ago to, oh, to wow. a friend of mine on Loop. Interesting, interesting. And you also mentioned you collect ticket stubs too, right? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, I have a few. Um, we have we have a seller on Loop, Casa Breaks, who really specializes in those. He curates collections of them, and then he'll do a stream one night and sell all those tickets. And I've bought way too many from him. He gets good stuff too. It's, it's always, again, I like the story of things. So I have like uh, Fernando Tatis Jr.'s MLB debut ticket. Um, we have some like uh, Otani tickets when he first started playing in MLB. His, I think we sold it, but it was his debut ticket in uh, the Jap Japanese Pro League. Uh, oh, yeah. I forget that it had a really funny name. It had ham in it, but now I can't remember what it is. Um, yeah, he had one that was even, uh, the ticket to dinner for JFK's like welcome dinner in Dallas, but wow. it was the day he got assassinated. So there was no dinner that people, dinner, right. um, yeah, tickets, tickets are what I could, sorry, I could do the whole show on tickets. Cause I just think it's funny that people collect, you know, I collect rookie cards and, and you think they're rare, but they're, you know, there's a, probably a few hundred or a few thousand graded depending on the card and the rookie but some of these tickets you get it and you look it up and there's like population four <laughs> and that blows my mind the fact that there there were 30,000 50,000 people in the stadium maybe that day but only four of those tickets exist graded so is your collection is your collection of tickets raw and graded only graded only graded okay yeah I've thought about buying some raw and then sending them in to get graded because right. um, obviously I think that you could probably get them at a good discount because 
it's hard to price something when there's only four of them. <laughs> like, what is For the sure. value of that? Interesting. And so, sorry, Kent, go ahead, buddy. Um, so, 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 in terms of your ticket collection, is it just strictly mainly sports, or do you have like concert tickets in your collection? Um, can you elaborate? I mean, on my my personal ticket collection is very small, and it's it's just sports right now. But right now? Uh, okay. again, anything with a good story, um, like it was like the first showing of a show on Broadway. Like I would probably buy mm. that if it was, if it was something I was mildly interested in. Interesting. Nice. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I said, uh, you could buy the first ticket stub at an event where the loop app advertising is being shown. There you go. There's an <laughs> idea for you. Sorry, I, can't I do. I do have the very first official receipt that came out of the, uh, the register at the physical, like our retail shop here in Miami. And I thought about getting that graded. <laughs> if they would even grade it, I don't know if they would. Um, but I want to get it slabbed just so it's protected. That's cool. Sorry, I can't. That was just popped in my head. I wanted to bring that up. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. So, Eric, in the vein of collecting, what what was it about like a frustrating experience that led you to create Loop in the first place? Yeah, I I had just been getting back in the sports cards, um, starting to grow my collection, you know, making a lot of bad decisions because I was just like, oh, I'm going to buy whatever, you know. Sure, yeah. It's cool. And, you, you know, you make or buy a box you shouldn't have opened because mm -hmm. uh, I think it was like 19 to 20 select. That was That was definitely one. Basketball select I definitely should have held on to <laughs> for a while instead of ripping right away. Right. But um, yeah, I was just buying cards and I started to get into live breaks, not not like team or group breaks, just mm -hmm. buying a box from a live seller and they'd open the whole box for you. Oh, okay. And, and it was really cool, but the process of going to PayPal, leaving the stream, going to PayPal, coming back, confirming that they got it, that they have all the info they need. Um, you know, where am I in the queue? When is my stuff getting opened? Uh, it, it was just a mess. And, but just seeing the behavior and seeing the reactions of the people that were buying, including my own feelings, I was like, there's something here because I worked at another startup where we did some live streaming with, uh, we did some experiments in other markets like beauty. And you have all these beauty bloggers who, have these very refined, well-edited, well-lit, um, just high-production high videos that go on YouTube. And then you go, cool, let's go do a live stream. And it, it looks different. There's no editing. There's no cuts. <laughs> um, so that was tough. But what the light bulb in my head was, there's a market already doing this, but they don't have the tools to make this easy for them. So it was like 3 a.m. one night and I'm messaging one of my friends in France who's who's in the tech and I, I've worked with previously and was walking through like, hey, you founded a company before. What do you think of this? Did, you know, we prototyped a couple of features that we haven't even launched yet. We because we really dove into the the live aspect. We saw that as the differentiator. Also, when you're doing a startup, you have to make money at some point. And the other features on their own just didn't make money. So we're like, let's let's build a a small business in a box. 
Um, and let's give it to local card shops. Let's, you can stream with it. People can view, people can buy, they can see what's for sale. You know, just all the basic things I wished were in the Instagram stream. And that's ultimately where we ended up and we launched in October of 2020. So it's been, uh, I said it was October 23rd. So it's almost a year. It's crazy time. It does flies. not feel like it's been a year. <laughs> wow. It like it's been four months. Yeah, that's crazy. It's nice. It's not a lot of time, but a lot of time. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, you're on mute, Kent. Oh. <laughs> well, you're definitely on mute or your speakers aren't working, Kent. Here, how's that? Much better. better. Okay. <laughs> so, so the name Loop, how did you come up with the name Loop? And is, is Loop, is, is it an acronym for something or does it have a special meaning for you? So Loop is the small magnifying glass, the, the little round one usually that flips open and you use it to look at jewelry and collectibles. Uh, like coins um, or whatever, yes, sure. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea was, it alludes to some other features we want to do. Um, but the idea is that we're your, 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 we're your digital loop to your, to collecting basically like everything you do is with a camera or the screen. Um, so it was kind of a play on that. And also as, as we dig into more of the startup aspect of it, um, you know, I come from 12 years in video games. It's all about feedback loops. So mm. how do we get you in, into a user flow? and then make it repeatable. And it was a play on that as well. And that was something we knew early on um, that when you when you build anything that you want people to stick around, you need to really nail um, that sort of behavior. You don't want somebody to come in, use your app once successfully, and then just never come back again. So yeah, it's kind of double meaning there. Yeah, it's kind of the the mantra of the startup world, right? Is your is your item scalable, repeatable? Uh, you know that, that those are the things that investors are looking for. We'll get more into into that in a little bit later. So, mm -hmm. you uh, you did allude to this a little bit earlier, Eric, but I'm going to make you repeat the story. So, <laughs> we know that when we talked about this last Friday, you have some Canadian influences for the Loop. Um, given we're a Canadian show, we wouldn't be right if we didn't talk about how, A, you've got the honorary Canadian moniker and how <laughs> Canadian influence uh, helped with the Loop app. Um, so I grew up south of Buffalo. I've been to Canada many times. Um, one of my early jobs working at a ski resort where a lot of Canadians would travel down to the States and, and, and ski at our resort. Um, and my friend that's actually in France is Canadian. So a lot of Canadian influence as well, well as growing up with uh, a little bit of hockey um, and various, various shows on the weirdest channel. I don't, I can't, it might've been channel five, but it was like in between all of like the local stations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much, we want everyone on loop to succeed. It's very community driven um, people that come in and, you know, we're not, we're not a free app in the sense that like Twitter's free or Facebook's free and engagement drives everything. And if you remove bad eggs, you remove 
part of your business. With us, it's no people that are rude and angry and cause chaos um, actually hinder not only our business of making money and sales, but they hinder the experience of people enjoying the hobby. And we just exit them from <laughs> the loop stratosphere as fast as possible. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I know we talked a little bit about before. It was very, very Canadian of me um, just to be very, how thankful I am for everyone, everyone on the service, the sellers in the community who are just so nice to each other and make it a great place to hang out. You could, uh, that's really cool to hear. And that's what everyone knows. Eric is an honorary Canadian. Um, and being a Buffalo state, buff, not Buffalo, sorry, resident, former Buffalo resident, it's close enough to the border that, you know, he's one of us. Um, <laughs> even though you're a Seattle fan, but I, I do respect that too. Um, one of the things I find funny is, uh, or I, I find funny personally, is whenever you do get into your uh, your global uh, takeover, you can when you come to Canada, you can put loop with an accent on the E. And there you go. There's your uh, Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you really ramped up. This has been well-established in a lot of your podcasts, but I just want to talk about it one more time just to make sure people understand this. Um, you ramped up loop during the pandemic, which you weren't envisioning. No one did. Mm -hmm. Um you left an established career at Microsoft to go into startup world, whereas most people go into startup world and get sucked up by corporations and usually stay there. <laughs> you, you seem to relish the road less traveled. Speak to us about this and you know how your mind, how your mindset works, and how it, it this is a comfort zone for you. Yeah. So I was, I mean, when I was a kid, I worked. Uh, pizzeria and restaurants. I worked in a engine factory for some time before, during college. Um, tech help desk, which is probably my best reason for being nice to anybody that works in a <laughs> public service role. Um, so I went after college. Um, I immediately went out to Seattle and I worked at Microsoft for six and a half, seven years working in the Xbox division. Um, I worked on the platform. So more of trying to think of projects. So launching Xbox Live in Russia and Costa Rica. Um, not so much the launch of Xbox One in China, but that was just having visibility on what it takes to launch software live service in that country was... Mm -hmm mind-blowing because it's just so different than anywhere else um and then the launch of xbox one in general was was huge and after that there wasn't much else i could do that felt as big as launching a full console um and i didn't want to go through like my 12th reorg which is honestly probably the biggest reason i left um so I went into, I worked at a, a startup a little bit that did a Xbox app. I was there for like seven months just helping out. And then I went to a company in LA where I worked for five years on as uh, mostly on product, but a lot of community culture sort of stuff. Um, dealt with live streaming, a little bit of AI. But what's funny is while I did that, I led an acquisition of a, Minecraft server, which was like basically oh. non-functioning at the time. And I ran that for about four years. And I learned more from that than probably any other job where 
you know, we were partnered with Microsoft, so we had to abide by all their rules. We couldn't directly market because they're children. Um, we didn't own the game, so we couldn't do push notifications. So literally everything we had to rely on was external forces bringing players into our game. And then it was get them enjoying the game and knowing exactly what they need to do as fast as possible so that they're just the highest probability of coming back and playing your, your game again. And that was the wildest thing I've ever worked on. Um, it was, it was hugely successful. We had like three people on the team, um, mostly juniors, like a couple right out of college. And it was just a lot of fun. So, you know, eventually I already, I already talked about how I came to the idea of, of loop and, and I, I left my job in February of 2020, started loop in March. And then right about then was, oh, there's a pandemic and it's real. And I am in a massive city that is <laughs> on full lockdown as it should be. And I can't go anywhere but I'm also in one of the most expensive parts of the city. It was like worst case scenario. So ultimately um, I had all my savings, all my 401, basically all assets I had, which, you know, good thing I don't have a uh, money manager right now because they probably would have freaked out, you know, beginning of the pandemic, let's take all of your assets, liquidate them and put them into an unproven startup. Yeah. So uh, we did a beta in, in June, and then, uh, like I said, we launched in October, and that's right about when we started uh, really getting, we got some angel checks right before launch, we got some angel checks right after launch, yes. and then we got our first real round, our seed round in December. So it was a, it was a real stressful nine months, or seven to nine months of going, okay, I only have so much money available to me. I'm paying people to help me on this project, um, like uh, out of my own pocket. Uh, probably the the easily the craziest thing I've ever done and the most rewarding. But you know, as I got down to those last couple months, there was there was a real question of, <laughs> do I need to go get a job? Yeah. <laughs> do I need to like wait tables <laughs> and to like pay the bills so I can. Uh, do this, you know, loop on the side, but luckily I never got to that point. Yeah, it's interesting. And just so everyone is aware, um, just uh, and you may or may not be aware, like I've been through the startup space. Uh, I know family who've done startups and been successful at it. I have other family locally that are in startup. The initial year in a bit is stressful, it takes a lot of toll on your body and your psyche. So for the fact, you know, you have to respect that because people are taking a big chance to, to get from point A to point B. Um, I'm aware of what it's like when people are going through seed round and then, you know, cap two, uh, sorry, tier two, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, kudos for you for keeping a smile on your face and, and doing that. But uh, um, I'm sure you feel a lot better about yourself now uh, than you did when you, when you when you were in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, you hear no so many times and you try not to let it get to you because you're super confident and you, you know what you're doing and you understand the market, but you hear no enough times. And finally you're kind of like, okay, I was really counting on that call to be a yes. And it wasn't. So 
<laughs> How much can, longer can I do this? <laughs> you keep a, a, a list of all your rejections and uh, use that as motivation. So one thing I forgot to ask you, and actually I'm going to bring it up now, is did you actually keep any collectibles or things, neat things from your time at Microsoft? Like, do you have like an Xbox One original printing or like that, or original games? Like, what did you keep? I don't think I have anything big. I I sold some and I gave a bunch away for, to like, you know, I, when you're there that long, you you meet a lot of people who are really big collectors. Sure. They they have the crazy, you know, huge rooms with like too much stuff in it. And I'm I'm a I'm a minimalistic <laughs> collector. Um, I'm constantly like I have my small set of things I, I know I'll probably keep forever and then everything else kind of like shifts around. I keep for a little bit and get rid yeah. of. So I, I have some pins and things that maybe only employees got, yeah. but everything else. The one thing I regret not stealing. Um, not stealing, but falling into my lap and just happens to end up in my home is I got to hold the original Chrome Xbox that mm. Bill showed off on stage. It, it literally looks like a big X mm -hmm. and it's Chrome and it weighs like 50 pounds. Um, someone almost threw it away because I guess they didn't know what it was, which is weird because it's this big obvious, like you look yeah. at it, you know it's something. Right. Uh, but someone almost threw it away and I did the right thing. and was like, no, that needs to go in a storage closet till the right person gets their hands on it. Yeah, I think it ends up in, a, it ended up in a visitor center or a museum. But uh, yeah, there was definitely that little angel and devil on my shoulder of, you know, you can just take that home on the bus and <laughs> just, put a, just put a cloth over it. <laughs> Karma, karma. See, your karma is coming back to, to help you right now. So you did the right thing. Although it'd be really weird to carry a huge thing like that on the bus. But anyway, that's, that's a different story for a different time. That probably would stop you from doing it. You're like, uh, no. Um, can you imagine? How, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. You're like sweating on, on the bus. My, um, my weak nerd arms carrying it up a, a really steep hill in Seattle. Yeah, that would... I would have got two blocks of that. Oh, yes. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> um, you'll be taking a rest of the Space Needle for sure. Um, Kent, go ahead, buddy. Uh, Eric, you kind of touched upon this earlier and, and to, to everybody out there. So when it comes to like startups, um, you have to have investment rounds and investment from private investors. Mm -hmm. So as you're pushing through with your investment rounds, what was it that attracted investors to your platform? I think there's there's probably like three things. One, one. This is the least important, honestly. I know people bet on founders, but I, I, I'm not just down and playing myself for <laughs> modesty. I, I, th I do think it's true that my my background in video games and live streaming, you know, it's it does give me a unique perspective of building. This. So I think that, that helps a little bit. Um, sports cards and collectibles in general just had this full revival. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's across the board. It's just our culture today and how people spending money, spend money. It, it's sports cards, it's NFTs, it's even just consumer stocks, like how Robin Hood functions. Like everyone across the board that deals with investments and collectibles went up. So there's 
there's that and that that helped us and then the the other is just live streaming in general is making uh, a surge here and when you look at asia and uh china and south korea specifically uh e-commerce through live video is well ahead of us i mean it, oh yeah I mean, they're always ahead of us on, on most uh, software live services, but it that definitely stood out um, when a lot of conversations came up, like they would reference, uh, for the most part, those last two, those were what would be brought up naturally in conversation of like, you know, it's the right time for this market and you're kind of on the forefront of this movement of live e-commerce. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we have a question for you from one of our viewers. Amit, do you want to show it? Sure. Go ahead. How do you stay disciplined as a, C as a CEO is the question. <sighs> Lists and time management. <laughs> um, I have a Trello board that is my life. Um, without that, I'd, it would be a physical written list on a notepad. And sometimes I, after a few months with Trello, sometimes I'll switch to a notepad and sometimes I'll switch back. Um, the, the thing I learned about being a founder and CEO that I totally underestimated is how many people want to waste your time and your money. Yes. The number of LinkedIn messages, mm -hmm. emails, to the point where like I can pretty much tell within the first sentence if something is going to waste my time. So sure. purging through those. Also, I had to relearn how I use email. Um, I'm very much a very connected millennial. So anytime my phone goes off, I'm like, oh, what's that? And oh, it's new email. Okay, I'll check that email now. And trying to put email time into a block. So it's I'm not addressing every email as they come in. I'm doing them in chunks at certain times of the day. Um, I, I kind of just had to relearn how I think about work. Um, and I think I'm still learning. I mean, I, I don't feel like I my, my work day is perfect, but I'm getting the right things done within the right time frame. And that's most important. Um, and I need to be okay with going to bed with emails that are unread and unaddressed, which is totally mind-blowing because before being a founder CEO, that, that wasn't a problem. Right. Sometimes things are like, and e there are some emails you get where like, this is going to take two hours of my day. I need to just wait until the appropriate time to address it. So most, most of discipline has been that the time management and how I address um, things versus how I did before being a CEO. Right. For sure. So going into the sports card market itself and, and the boom, as you all have seen, um, what what about it that has allowed users to catch on to loop so quickly, do you think? Um, I think the the fact that we have product is big. So we, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just us getting product. It's we have dozens of B2B partners who use our tools to sell their product from their stores. Um, so the availability of the product is big. The sense of community, mm -hmm. I mean, as, as much as we'd love it to not be true, like there's still parts of the country that are in lockdown or limited right. and, and you're still not, we're still not going out as much as we were before. 
And that, that definitely affects small businesses. So not being able to walk into your local store became viewing your local store online and interacting yeah. with them a different way. And I think that, that helped really, I think loop would have been successful either way. It accelerated a lot, like where we thought we would be in 12 to 24 months. I think we hit in five to six months um, mm. just because so many people were just looking for product. And then there was the whole thing with target, not carrying some product and with the, the huge surge at the beginning of like 2019, early 2020, the product was just so hard to find that we're like, look, there's, there's so many stores here that you can't walk in your target. You can't walk in your local card shop and find it, but we have it. And, you know, something I don't think I've really addressed yet is the fact that we vet all of our sellers. So it's trusted. Mm. You're, not, you're not buying from a random person on Instagram right. or eBay who you know, maybe they don't have the box or, or it's labeled incorrectly. No, like this is someone we've vetted who, who has a reputation. If they mess up, they're immediately off the surface, you know, depending on the, the severity of it. But, you know, we actually want them to build trust from the, plat from the platform. So, you know, I think just all those, all those things were kind of a perfect storm. So we know that Loop has been fair, I would say, really successful. As a result of the success, uh, how big is the backlog of prospective customers who wish to become part of the Loop community? So if you're, you mean customers like sellers? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, over a thousand. <laughs> wow. we're, we're finally, so we, this is the thing with every startup, the founder does everything and then eventually they hire people to start handing pieces of their job off to right. um so our head of business development craig who started as a, a loop user he's he's been going through those and you know we we knew that we would get people applying who had never sold live before or you know they bought one box of cards at target and they're trying to sell that it's mm -hmm. like no that's that's not what our business is. So um, part, of, part of what we're doing right now is going through and actually finally purging those um, from the list and getting it down to a manageable, you know, these are people that have legit businesses and we feel that we could, they bring value to us, but also that we sure. bring value to them. And uh, even after that, I think we're sitting on probably like 400. <laughs> so it's... Uh, it's a, it's a lot of work because you have to vet all of them. You have to have a conversation with them. You know, it's a legit business. So you actually have to have them sign up with like all the tax information and contract. But what's nice is they know we're investing in them. So the time is worth it because at the sure. end of the day, we, everyone has the same process and we already have multiple sellers who have done over a million dollars in sales through loop. Excellent. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, this is not a fly-by-night. You jump on eBay, sell a couple things. Maybe you jump on in a couple months. Like, no, like we expect you to be on regularly, um, build a community, and we invest in them. We do marketing. Um, we do regular monthly calls to walk them through what we're working on as well as their business. And then we also do 
we say they're one-on-ones, but usually it's like two people on our side and then however many people work at their company. Um, we do business reviews. So we say like, look, the this is the average business on Loop. This, these are all the things that the best sellers on Loop are doing. And we think this contributes to their success. And then we walk them through like, hey, here's five things we think if you could start doing and refining and experimenting with over the next 30 to 60 days, we expect that you could probably improve your business by 25 to 50%. And sorry, you just gave me a really good segue because we yeah, no, sure. did one of those calls today and I was really excited because they we're very honest. Like it's, we're not rude obviously, but like, like if you're doing this call, we want you to succeed. And that requires very frank and honest conversation. Like, I don't think your stream setup looks good or I don't think your I think your company is good but maybe someone that streams on your on your account isn't as what's the word salesmanship you know kind of like personal you know, personal yeah yeah you can't just be on a camera you also have to be like oh so here's a box and here's everything about it and this is how much it is and oh if you buy it now I'll give you this free pack you know it's just a you learn how to be that type of person on a live stream. And uh, yeah, I think they really appreciate that feedback. And, you know, we, if we already have not even a year old yet, and a lot of them haven't even been on since the beginning. So the fact that we have multiple over a million dollars has been like mind blowing. Yeah, <laughs> I sometimes I'm like, I, these, these like small businesses. And then all of a sudden we just like blow them up and it's like the best feeling in the world. Those are good problems to have. Yes, yes. <laughs> very much good problems to have. And uh, I think, you know, there are, like I have a background in advertising and much and tech, so I have an idea of what you're talking about. But like the, the key ones are being personable, believable, charismatic, you know, and building trust, right? And once you have those kind of licked, then the other ones, softer sides are a little easier to curate. It's the, mm -hmm. the first four are very hard to teach. <laughs> So not everyone has it. So you have to make sure you're set up successfully for that. So yeah, exactly. I love, I love, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just agreeing with you. I, I, I think that's a, a big pillar of our business and why we've been successful. For sure. Um, and thanks for going into that uh, um, POV on how you approve the seller. Cause that was kind of where we were going from a question perspective. Um, I'm going to tweak the questions a bit uh, differently because you did answer those earlier. So um are you able to share any of the criteria that you do judge sellers by, or is that proprietary to Loop? Um, it's not as complicated as you probably think it would be. Um, we don't go by sales numbers. Um, we go by, does your business exist? Like, do yeah. you operate as a business <laughs> entity? Um, what sort of product do you get? So if you're just going to Target and clearing the shelf, um, we, we're probably not going to bring you on the service because right. you know people can buy that type of product if if they try hard enough. It's more of the hobby product and the things that the you know the local card shops carry. Um, and we just look at kind of presentation. So, do you represent the Loop brand and culture well? If somebody's on and spewing you know, misogynistic yeah. language, like obviously, no, we want to be an inclusive community and I don't care how much money you make, <laughs> like that's, that would hurt us in other ways. 
So, so it's, it's more of a, just are you professional and are you a culture fit? It's, it's almost like hiring a junior employee at a startup. Like you, we don't necessarily need you to have a lot of skills, but do we think that you're a hustler? You know, are you going to contribute to the culture in a positive way? And if so, then we can teach you everything else. Like we can say like, Hey, we think you're a hustler. You know how to sell you're positive and friendly. You ship on time. Cool. Now let's, let's work you through the dynamics of business and actually like get you more sales and profitability. For sure. And that's important because like you mentioned earlier, your name of the company is loop. So there's a feedback loop, both from a, a positive uh, aspect and from a reinforcement aspect, right? So continuously mm -hmm. rewarding them, we're going to get higher sales. You'll end up looking good for loop and sellers as well. So, mm -hmm. One question that came up is, so Loop is, one of the things that I'm sure investor, investors ask this all the time, like, so Eric, this is great, but once you get thousands and thousands of sellers, how are you going to be able to afford the time to impart this knowledge and help your sellers along? So have you thought about how to scale or have you already scaled your customer service team? I think there's, there's some aspects we do that could be automated. We're very hands-on right now because we want to fully understand their business and giving them a PDF of best practices is not a good <laughs> feedback mechanism for us. So we like those conversations, but as we, as we grow, I know there's going to be aspects that will become video like onboarding videos and PDFs and, and websites. And that that's inevitable as you grow, but you know, that doesn't mean you still don't expand your account manager team and have, you know, world-class uh, support, like, you know, there, there are things you still do to make sure you never lose that part of the culture, even if you can't be as white glove as you used to be at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as, as they always say at the beginning of startups do things that don't scale um, as a year in, I think our next year is going to be, how do we, make some of that stuff scale, um, which is a challenge in itself. But yeah, it's the, the trust in the culture is so important because that is a part of our brand. And I don't, I don't ever want to do something that compromises that. For sure. Uh, go ahead, Kent. Um, have sellers noticed significant gains in the insights provided by your team? Any success stories that you can share with us? It's I'm trying to think more of the experimentation and I, I compare it to early early to mid twitch if you're aware of the, mm -hmm. the gaming platform oh, yeah. yep. mm -hmm. so you get a lot of people who you know use the platform or any live platform or even i guess even ebay you get people that use it and then there's a certain subset of user who experiments and they're just that type of hustler. They, they experiment and they kind of throw a bunch of things at the wall and see what works. And then when something really works, they hone in on it mm -hmm. and they refine it or they double down on it, however you want to say it. And then you'll notice everyone else slowly starts copying them. So mm, yes. I don't know who it was, but whoever did the first overlay or the first chat overlay or in-app uh, donation pop-ups, you know, all those things that are, you know, are just standards of the platform today. Somebody had to do that first and then others decided they wanted to do it and others built tools to streamline it for everyone else that wanted to do it. So I say all that because we're starting to see that now where 
I think everyone sees us as a breaking platform. And when you think of breaking, you think of group breaks and team right. breaks. We actually don't really do any of those. Uh, you buy personal packs, personal boxes, singles, auctions, market value repacks. But what's funny is we didn't have market value repacks from the beginning. Somebody started doing that. And the reason we like those is because they're not chase repacks. No one feels burned. You know, mm-hmm. that $1,000, you got a curated pack of like usually graded cards that are worth about a thousand dollars um so once somebody started doing that and be were success success successful oh gotta love uh speech impediments um (laughs) (laughs) so um once somebody started doing that and finding success they um we started to see others who were like oh I never even thought about that, but so-and-so is doing it. They've done it a few times. It looks successful. I'm going to do that too, but I'm going to put my own spin on it. So it's only been a year, so we haven't seen too many examples of that, but we're starting to. And I think as we expand the tools that we offer them through the app, you're only going to see more explosion of that because our app is so minimalistic it's hard to be flexible um outside of other than how do you as a person sell people on buying cards where as we start adding new features i think we're going to see you know like i said at twitch that's only going to be amplified you're going to see more of like oh you built this tool to be used this way but i'm actually going to use it this way i'm i'm really excited about that because that challenges you as a creator in like really interesting ways oh yeah for sure yeah, you kind of answered my next question, which was, how, what was the evolution that has been like for this whole year? So I'll move on to the next question I'm going to ask you is, what what's the story? Uh, what can you say that story is the data telling you about the direction of Loop when you look analyze the data? Um, I so I was a product manager before I left for Loop. So my and at Xbox too, I worked with data a ton. So I. I really like personas, mm-hmm. which, you know, we're a small service right now. So there's not a lot of personas. I'd say there's three. And I don't want to get into it too much because I feel like it's a little yeah, bit no, no. Okay, our yeah, sure. secret sauce. But we, yeah, we do sure. look at three personas and we look at each in an interesting way of how do their user funnels, user flows differ and what do they do in the app. And we also look at things like, you know, average time to first purchase to second purchase mm. conversion yeah. conversion rate from you know all the basics download to registration to mm-hmm. view, buy and once you get that data then you just look at well this seems a little long can we improve this or you know how many you know how many people are making their second purchase well this seems low can we get this higher um, we also do a lot of user surveys and much to the pain of our, our in-house data analyst, we actually do a lot of open-ended questions because I don't like guiding people into an answer. Like satisfaction, those things are fine, but kind of like, I don't want to say what's your favorite feature and give you 10 options. I'd much rather you actively tell me off the top of your head, what your favorite feature is. <laughs> Cause right. I think you'll just get different answers and different points mm-hmm. of views. So 
yeah, between the data and the surveys, I feel like in a year in we, I've worked with enough startups to say that I, I think we we have an above average understanding of our our sellers and our customers, and this is and on top of the fact that most of us are hobby addicts ourselves. So I've spent right. way way too much of my own money in in the app. <laughs> so you know what's interesting is, uh, and a lot of people who do who are in who are not in the technical technology space and stuff space probably don't understand this. But I can just explain one thing really quickly. So. I have the benefit of working for an established company that's been around for, you know, 10 plus years, which is an advertising company. And we do a lot of R&D and a lot of usability studies mm -hmm. with uh, major corporations. But the difference in a startup is that window to do that testing or get that data inside is, is quicker and faster than I would be used to. So in my industry, if I want a usability study, you know, these companies are paying for two and three month long studies, right? or two to three weeks, Eric's team doesn't have the luxury because it's, <laughs> it's a minimalistic approach, but not only to, you know, how you live, it's also how you have to approach tech, right? right. So you're constantly right. evolving, but you're iterating faster, right? So you're getting more data into like iterating. So that actually comes at a cost. So then you look at, hey, what is the cost advantage? Like, what is the opportunity cost by not doing X or Y, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in a constant battle as a CEO. And just want people to understand is that it, you know, you're in your head, you're like, I want to do this, but oh, hold on, should I do it? No, should I? And then you're taking almost educated gambles on where you want to take the direction of the app. So yeah. So we we just did a roadmap exercise for um basically Q Q4 and early Q1. And it's tough uh -huh. because you have you have tech debt, yep. you have the low-hanging fruit quality yeah. of life stuff yeah. you have the big fun features that people just want to build because they're fun and they don't yeah. you know their bets like is this actually going to move the needle yeah. i mean i've i've in my tech career i have definitely worked on teams that have shipped things and we believed in it and it was fun and then it goes out and it's a complete dud and no one uses it yeah yeah it's a worse feeling so now that i'm the founder and ceo i'm very <laughs> very very critical <laughs> Um, so, you know, we, we look at what ultimately our customer, our core customer is the seller B2B yep. platform. So we look at what makes their life easier, what allows them to sell more and what allows them to make more overall revenue and profit. And if we look through that lens, it became very obvious of what features we should be prioritizing yeah. but yeah this the the getting to that clarity is very difficult and nerve-wracking yes. and you know you definitely lose sleep a couple days as you're thinking through like the 60 different features you yeah. could be building and there's always there's always those on the opposite side of the fence would be like the grass is always greener but you kind of have to pick a direction trust your gut and go with it so there's a i have a lot of respect for people in the startup space because it's just the speed at which you're moving to make critical decisions at an all-time high versus where I'm working for more of a corporate culture. <laughs> you know, we're doing a six-month roadmap just to put out features, right? Like you're doing complete app overhauls in short times of frame. So, oh yeah, yeah, and it it took me a long time to get used to that um, yeah. because at, at Xbox there was some software it'd be like nine months, a year from <laughs> you know from scope and yeah. <laughs> assigning teams to actually having the public use it. Like those timelines, I mean, I 
I couldn't imagine taking more than, you know, a month or two to even do a big project at yeah. Loop today. <laughs> like that's an eternity for a startup. For sure. And so just the one point I want to make is the fact that Loop has been this successful, this, now I'm having trouble talking, um, this <laughs> successful in doing that in a very short time frame. Remember, it's not even been a year, right? So the adoption has been pretty key, right? Or else Loop wouldn't be here right now. Right, um, the investments ha investors have jumped on, so that would have been that's a kudos for him as well. So you have to think of him, sorry, to loop app in yourself as well. You have to think about it. You're making the right decision so far, so that's a good sign. So um, I'm going to drill into that a little bit more later, but I don't get too nerdy. But because I have knowledge of your space, knowledge it's, of your... it's getting there, right? Um, sorry, I hear an echo from myself. I want to make sure. Do you hear an echo of me? No, Eric, are you good? No. No. Okay. okay cool. So I'm going to get into some fun questions. So um, your, your background's in gaming because you started at Xbox. So are you ever thinking about how am I going to able to... And the reason I'm asking this because PSA has a PSA registry that gamifies things. Mm -hmm. Does Loop ever intend to gamify things in terms of uh, into the ecosystem? Um, I would argue that we already have in okay. subtle ways. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's... We we look at things kind of in three three lenses and points of views, and one of them is kind of the free to play game um, gamification. But really, it, it sounds very nefarious, but it's yeah. not. It's more of how do we just make every activity very fun and mm -hmm. quick. Um, so when you usually when you play a, a free to play game for the first time, or most games there's a walkthrough. It teaches you yeah. like every aspect of the game. And then it's like, okay, go off and do your thing. And I hate those. I am the most impatient person. <laughs> I'm like mashing, I'm mashing the button and then it drops me off into the world. And I go, I don't know how to do anything because I didn't pay attention to the, the tutorial. <laughs> so I'm, I kind of build for me in the fact that I like gamification, but it needs to be the most minimalistic version yes. of it. Like no one should ever question what they should be doing next. Like, oh, there's like two things I can do on this screen. Okay, that's easy to understand or even one thing to do on this screen. But a lot of times you see UIs where they just do too much and you can't even gamify it. At that point, you're just encouraging them to hit everything on screen all the time and hoping they end up getting like a dopamine hit from it where we go, no, there's, this is a very specific thing we're building. You, you watch and buy cards. And when you buy a card, it's a fun experience and you feel rewarded and there's really nothing else complicated about that. So, um, but as we build features, I'm sure that the struggle will definitely be there to maintain that sort of, um, design design method really that's not the word i was looking for but aesthetic we'll is the word I was um, we, know, we know what you mean yeah <laughs> design um, aesthetic right yeah. the look and feel versus the accelerant right yes um what's neat to, one thing i want to say so i keep forgetting this and eric pardon me for every show i always forget to go back to who's watching they get so engrossed into interviewing the person i forget who's in the audience so first of all <laughs> Um, let's say hi to Anthony Corbo for joining. Thank you. Says Loop is my favorite app, so you have a fan there. Um, Canadian Highlander says hello to Kent and I. So thank you for coming by, Canadian Highlander. And for those of you uh, just in the background watching, um, please hit the subscribe and like button if you like our content. 
Uh, we would love to to bust up, uh, help the algorithm by boosting up our number through the, the subscription model. So please go ahead and, and do that for us. Um, Eric, going back to you again for a second. So one thing that I found interesting is, you know, so you're very you're clearly very passionate about what you're doing and it comes across, right? You're keeping a very, you, you are a very minimalist person yourself and that'll come across in your app, right? So that's, and also you have a high adoption rate, so that's good too. So I think I kind of answered the question, but I'll let you answer it. What <laughs> separates Loop from its competitors? Um, heart. <laughs> um, the fact that we really, really care about the people that use the app. Um, I mean, I think I've given enough examples. I hope people know I'm not um, making this up. Like we don't add everyone. Like we purposely choose people that we think share the same passion as us for the, for the hobby and they want to be successful, but also it's not just making money. Like they legitimately enjoy streaming and talking to people about cards and yeah. sharing their passion. Um, you see it at card shows. You, you, you see some booths where people are very like, like buy my stuff. Like it's, it's, it's <laughs> in the present. No, I mean, it's and all the power to them. Like it's a business. I get it. But there's a difference between that and seeing the booth with like, the dude that's been in it for three decades and everything is like, he could tell you a story about every single card and at you, you just want to support him and like his passion. And now you have a story that's shared about the thing that you just bought from him. And they're both a transaction, but you feel very, very different about them. Like one's buying from a store and one is buying with like a history attached to it. And I, I will always lean towards the latter. Um, like I want people who are passionate and want to succeed and see others, others succeed. We always say that on our group seller calls is, you know, rising tide lift all boats. And they understand that we need to keep adding sellers, but we're not adding 100 sellers overnight. Like we want to make sure everybody continues to succeed and grow. And then we kind of layer on more people with different attitudes attitudes and different products and it, it builds a robust ecosystem versus let's just grow at all ex all expense and we don't care about anybody and it's the wild west and a bunch of people get thrown to the side and and become bitter about it and it's like no that's not who i am as a person and that's not what loop is so um i don't know how i say that in a nutshell other than heart but hopefully you you understand where i'm coming from <laughs> totally and i think you have a heart tattooed on your arm too right I yeah I have a, I have a few yeah, yeah. See? yeah three of them so actually one of them is like half full is that a whole an ode to the the mana yeah I took a little bit of damage <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is it's actually from Zelda but yeah. every little kid thinks it's from Minecraft and I just like yeah it's oh Minecraft. right of course <laughs> Minecraft yeah 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 actually that is true that is true is it pixelated on the edges mm -hmm. oh cool um so I got one more question for I change uh, turn it over to Kent so. Um, let's go. Let's step away from you know the loop itself. I want the loop app itself. I want to get into some of the cool things you do. So you're doing some cool things with the MLB from a campaign perspective, or you have done, I should say. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about some of the things you've done and what you're proud of. Um, yeah, we've. I mean, we we work with AJ Dillon, um, running back of the Green Bay Packers, who had a hell of a game <laughs> this last week. 
Um, he streams when he has free time, he streams on the app and actually sells, like he buys and sells cards. Um, we've worked with John Boy Media who have a whole network of baseball related um, podcasts and, and channels. Um, we worked with the MLB and did a 32 card bracket to let people vote on the basically the best baseball card of all time, which I think the from correctly the Honus Wagner won probably no surprise. Uh, I was really rooting for the uh, Andrew McCutcheon SP card where he's holding the double cup and the chain and sunglasses, but everyone went for the classic as expected. Um, but that was a huge, huge thing we got to do with the MLB, and it was, you know, we're such a small fish compared to them, but. Uh, when we worked with them on kind of some ideas, it it just made a lot of sense. If we're going to do a real big experiment, throw our brand out there in front of a large audience, at least, you know, for the near term, that's probably going to be the biggest investment for a while in that type of marketing. And uh, yeah, MLB just made a lot of sense. And we, we do a lot of things with the local sports. Um so we, we, we actually like bought Dolphins tickets and we give them away with some local promotions. Nice. Um, worked with the Marlins and actually had behind home plate. And in the grand scheme of things, that wasn't very expensive, but the our very first game, our inning where we pop, it, you do it by half inning, our name popped up. And that inning, I think the Marlins scored 11 runs and it was like a 40 minute inning. <laughs> and they were like, you're our good luck charm. Now. <laughs> right. right. And uh, I don't know. I just, I believe a lot in just giving back. So we're working with the Marlins Foundation on some charity stuff in, in November. Uh, we're sponsoring a golf tournament with the University of Miami Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, that's in a couple weeks. And I don't know, it's, Obviously, at a startup, you have to be really careful how you spend your money and marketing sure. versus salaries versus throwing it towards new technology and headcount and all that. So um, I like to experiment and I also just understand and you can get carried away. So it's always keeping yourself in check. But certain experiences open doors to other opportunities. It, there's almost like this. It's an intangible of kind of like you meet one person and that person has a circle of friends and then you meet in, you know, four levels later, you're like, wow, I met this person and I thought they were great, but ultimately this person ended up being a really great business partner and I would have never met them had it not been this four layered circle. So um, I think a lot about how we want to represent ourselves, who we want to work with and how that represents us. And then kind of like, where does that lead us? What is the next conversation? And, you know, I like, I like those. I just totally want to rant about that, but <laughs> I like yeah, that. Yeah. Stuff. I, I like the story of it and like, where are we going to be in a year and how many of those things that we're doing then can be traced back to things that we decided to do today. Um, yeah. Classic Fun. six degrees of separation, man. Classic six degrees. Exactly. Of yeah. It's actually a classic uh, data play in terms of the storytelling, your data insights. There's storytelling everywhere, right? So it's telling the complete story. Sorry, I just said that too many times. Um, telling that, well, I mean, it's true. Telling the whole story from a tourist telling perspective, right? So uh, definitely six degrees of separation help in the app world, too. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry, I rudely interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. 
So speaking of that, how do you resist the urge to continuously tinker slash innovate and or add more features to the app? Because I'm sure your investors would love to see you scale. So how do you protect the vision of Loop, you know, and not becoming a victim of growing too fast? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we really struggled with hiring on the development side for a while. I mean, I'm very transparent about a mm -hmm. lot of things and that was of everything as a founder, that's the one where I felt like I failed my team the most. Um, the hiring right now with the surge, you have the pandemic, right. you have people who have been working at home for a year plus, um, you have a very aggressive expanding tech sector who I think there's more roles than there probably are qualified people. If, 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 if that's not true, then it's, it's close to being true because <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's wild out there right now. And oh, yeah. we, we've had, we've had devs on the team, but they were just doing too much. And, you know, there's also like our B2B partners, like, yeah, we'd love to build that feature, but we can only work on so many things at once. And we just recently basically like four X star team. Uh, and I can attribute that to networking. Again, there was a, a series of events that led me to the right team and uh, the right people. And as well as um, bringing on a full-time recruiter, which of, of everything I've been, of everything our investors have suggested to me, that's the one I definitely wish I would have took to heart sooner because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it takes, I mean, it even takes time to find the right recruiter yeah, yeah. and get them yeah. onboarded and then they get to work and it takes them time. So I just didn't think how all those pieces eventually add up to like weeks to yeah. really get to the heart of hiring people um, or even getting to talking to the right people that you might want to hire. So but once once we got that person on the full time recruiter, mm -hmm. it was night and day to to yeah. being able to like bring the right people on. Awesome. Now, no, now without getting too much into the proprietary information, uh, R and D can sometimes be the Achilles heel for technology companies, especially startups. So, can you talk to us about how you manage R and D process at Loop without, like I said, without getting too technical? <laughs> Uh, we have, and we haven't done too much R&D since the beginning because we've mm -hmm. just been focused on execution. Right. We, we do do R&D. Um, some, how do I want to say this? Basically, it's one person right now. It's one person and they are completely isolated from the team because wow. we don't even, not, you know, the, we're not, we don't hide that information. Like we're, we're like, you can't know what we're working on, but there's definitely a, there's a right time and right place to discuss this For sure. because sometimes R and D can be really cool future facing things that you might not even do for 12 months or more. And you just don't want it to be a distraction. And as much as, you know, developers working on a different project would love to sit down and work on it or brainstorm or, you know, suddenly they know about it and now they're staying up at night thinking about it. Cause I, every engineer that I know loves solving complicated problems. 
Yes. It's just in their true. DNA. It's in, true, yeah. I, I'm an engineering student. That's my degree. It's definitely in my DNA. I just love solving problems. So you have to be really careful how you communicate those things because it just becomes a distraction. So we keep it off to the side. And then at the right times, we kind of show the team or, or communicate it out. But even it's even built in a way, the R&D, that it's not just a test. It's right from the bidding, right from the beginning, you think if we were to integrate this, what hooks does it need to be easily built into the platform? Because you want to spend all that time on R&D and then go to implement it. And then you have to rebuild the whole thing because they didn't account for the fact that it needs to be integrated to an existing live product, which has totally happened to me before at another, another team. Um, but yeah, R&D, I think it's very important for teams at startups. It should be minimal. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. if you're spending that much time and money on R&D, then your core product is definitely suffering. I don't see how it wouldn't. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, I do. I do like that answer because uh, the reason I'm kind of we've kind of gone down this road is you now even though we're our focus is about trading cards, right, um, and different aspects of trading cards uh, industry. Right? Our focus is mostly on inclusivity and you know diversity, but this is speaking to how you approach your app is also very much of that same mindset, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to be inclusive of everyone's voices, diverse features. Um, and people get wrapped up in themselves sometimes. I've seen CEOs of other startups that get a little too into themselves and, and things do fail. So glad that you're being mindful of that. So I know we're at the hour and 13 mark and I promised we wouldn't go over an hour. So we just have three questions left, Eric, and we'll let you get okay. back to uh, your important level streaming, your streaming uh, uh, duties for the night. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to skip a couple of questions because we already talked about it. I'm going to get into more of the, the fast forward, the fast, the near future kind of thing. So what exciting features will Loop be launching in the near future? There, there you go. Um, in the near future, uh, we're focused on pre-sale, which we're actually testing right now. Um, so everything you buy in it is in a live stream right now. And we're taking a step back and saying, what if you could buy things before that live stream goes live? Excuse me. Um, which I think is going to really change the dynamic of the app, especially for people that open the app in the weird hours. Like who's streaming at 6 a.m.? Probably no one, but you can still interact and buy from the app. And it's it's kind of a weird, I think it's going to evolve into a weird blend of something like a persistent marketplace like eBay, but it has like this really tight knit connection to this live entertainment. So I, I it's one of those features that's going to evolve for sure. As it, I know for a fact that once we launch it, there's going to be like a million ideas from our sellers who go, Oh, I want to use it this way, or I wish it had this. And you know, we're, we're ready for it. Awesome. So can't, you got the final two questions, buddy. Um, so speaking of exciting features, what, what can, can you give us a hint as to what can Canadians can expect from loop in the future? <laughs> we want to release in Canada. And one of my big mistakes early on was I think I actually set a date. I, I know I said it. I can't remember what it is. Um, we just really want to focus on nailing the product and getting it right. There's a lot of places where I still think we're weak um, mm -hmm. that we could optimize and make it better. And I don't want to 
open it up to another region and then feel like oh, I just, <laughs> I, I released an unfinished, not an unfinished product, but something I'm not quite happy with yet. So we do have a bar. We kind of want like X, Y, and Z out. And then we'll look at releasing it in Canada. And we also just want to be very careful that we don't want somebody in Canada downloading it, making a purchase with maybe shipping built into a price. And then the seller realizes they have to ship it over the border and it costs right. twice as much or three times as much. Um, and then how do you communicate that? So we just want to make sure we uh, have the experience streamlined and, you know, maybe a seller doesn't want to ship to Canada or, you know, vice versa. If somebody's in Canada, do they want to sell and ship to the U S or is there a process for that? And that's the process that I'm most worried about. And we're going to, sure. we're going to build for that. So no, no date, but it, yeah, as, as soon as we can, <laughs> it's, well, it's probably a top three question for me <laughs> from support is, Oh, I, I heard about it from a friend of mine or a podcast that I listen to, but I can't, I don't see it in the store. How come? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good problem to have. So hopefully, we create more of those problems that people keep asking. And whenever we get, yeah, no, this is uh, this is very exciting news for Canadian collectors. So <laughs> something to look forward to for sure, for sure. So Eric, we've reached the closing part of the show, which is one of the favorite questions that we love to ask of all of our guests, <laughs> and this you know can be anything. So. Eric, what inspires you? Uh, I'm a problem solver. So that, that drives a lot of, I'd say, making, making lives better for people, solving problems, which could also be part of that. And then there's definitely a, a smidge of spite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my buddy that's in France, that's also right. Canadian. We, we joke that as nice as we are, there's a, there's a good chunk of our personality that's driv just driven by spite. Um, even if it's not justified, like the chip on your shoulder of like, Oh, they don't think I can do this. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's definitely there. And I think that's the, that's the, the little bit of blue collar where I grew up. I think that definitely <laughs> shines through. Um, <laughs> Well, you, you don't think I can do it. I'm just going to figure it out. And it's, you know, it's, I'm going to figure it out one way or another. Um, but yeah, it, it, and I kind of like that I have multiple answers to that because I, I don't think there is one. Um, there isn't. And uh, we're glad that we, you gave us the answer you gave us. And just so everyone's aware, we never asked what the answer is when we ask these questions. So we always hear for the first time, same time as you all do. Um, Eric? I want to thank you very much. Or we want to thank you rather very thank much you. for taking the time to meet with us. You're an interesting person to talk to. I'm excited for where your app is going. Um, I can't wait to get you back here in year three and two or whatever it may be <laughs> to see where you've gone from there. Yeah, when it's when the app is actually launched in Canada, that'd be awesome. Hey, to talk yes. about. <laughs> when the app is launched in Canada, we'll definitely be talking to you. <laughs> you're like, uh, you can't be on the show until you're in Canada. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no return until then. Um, and I want to thank you again for being so personable and humble. This shows through when we're talking to you. And I hope everyone who sees this, uh, please, if you're from the state side, go and download the Loop app. It's in the App Store and the Android Store too as well. Right, Eric? Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Um, take a look at that. And uh, hopefully it enhances your, or it will enhance your card collecting journey. 
So um, again, thank you very much. And just hang out there in the background, and I'm going to end the show. And for those of you, one more time, if you ever uh, want to see, if you want to see more of our content, please subscribe and hit the like button. We're uh, we're happy to, to serve the community. And go Kraken! Oh, they must have scored a goal. I have to go. Today's the first day of hockey, October 12th, the NHL. So I'll be doing it after this. So hang on there, Eric. I'm going to end the show. And good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thanks for stopping by.